on the cross, above his head, they nailed a sign in three languages, Greek, Latin, and Aramaic, and the sign read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. This inscription was intended to mock him, not honor him. At noon, three hours into his crucifixion, a strange darkness slowly covered over the land, excruciating pain spread across his face as he inhaled for another breath. And then with a raspy tone to his voice, Jesus said this, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These were the last words from Jesus before he breathed his last breath and died. Later that evening, a wealthy man named Joseph, who was given permission to take down Jesus' body from the cross and prepare it for burial, did just that. He then laid Jesus' body in an unused tomb and then rolled a big stone across the entrance to keep the body safe. In the decades before and after Jesus' life and death, there were dozens of messianic movements in Israel. In almost every case, what would happen is that the leader right, of these messianic movements would get killed, and after the leader was killed, these movements will end, and everybody will go home, Okay. And of all those dozens of movements, the only one that didn't collapse but instead exploded after the death of their leader was Christianity. In fact, in the course of about 300 years, Christianity spread through the entire Roman Empire. And to this day, Christianity continues to grow. It continues to make ground. It continues to influence and impact the lives of many people. And so, out of all those messianic movements, the question is, what made the Christian faith so different? What happened to cause such an explosive growth after Jesus' death? Let's look at Mark 16 again to find out, right? And so three days had passed, okay? And it seemed that all hope was lost for Jesus' followers. So very early on Sunday morning, just before dawn, Mary Magdalene and her three friends went to Jesus' tomb, right? And now in a room of this size, I am sure many of you know what it's like to visit the grave of someone you love, Okay, and as you're going, you know they're not going to be there, okay, but you're going in order to reflect on their life, and maybe you take some flowers, or maybe when you're there, you tidy up the grave a little, and that's what's kind of happening um, with these women. They are on their way to visit the gravesite of someone that they love and respect, except right? They had planned to do something we don't normally do, all right? Or we don't do at all when we visit the grave of someone we like. Verse 1 of our passage tells us that they had gone and bought some spices so that they might go and anoint him, 
right? In our day and age, this whole anointing and preparing a body is done for us in the funeral home, right? Back, back in the ancient world, it was common practice for um, um, the family of someone who died to go to their actual grave, right, and anoint their corpse with fragrant oils. And they did this in order to neutralize the bad smells and prevent decay, Right? And so as these ladies are on their way, right, um, still in shock, and I'm still, and I'm sure still grieving over Jesus' death, they hardly talk to each other, right? Because they're just reflecting on what just happened. This was Jesus, their leader, right, who had um, um, gathered a big following. He was becoming really influential, and then bang, he suddenly dies. And so these women, are grieving. And as they're on their way, they're not talking about much, but one thing they talked about is found in verse 3. They're on your way and they're like, wait a minute, who will actually roll away the stone, right, from the entrance to the tomb? In our day and age, um, people are placed in a coffin before being buried. In the ancient world, tombs around Jerusalem were carved into limestone cliffs and small entrance doors were sealed with large slabs of stones that could be rolled away, right? And so on their way to anoint Jesus' body, they realized something and they're like, wait, we're not strong enough to roll away this enormous large stone from the entrance to the grave, okay? But when they got to the entrance of the tomb, they noticed something that left them so terrified, okay? Verse 8 tells us that they fled from the tomb. And the Greek word, right? We're going to have a Greek lesson here, guys, right? Bear with me. This is building to something, right? The Greek word translated as fled is the word used for escaping from a wild animal, right? Escaping from a wild animal. And most of you guys know that I have certain phobias, right? I can't swim, so the ocean is like just fiercely scary to me, right? The other phobia I have is dogs. Like, I'm just so like scared of dogs. It's a thing that developed when I was young and I got chased by this dog who had rabies and like he just chased me. And ever since, every time I get near a dog, I just start to shake and I get really fearful, and you guys might think they're cute, but I think they're just ruthless, and they're all out to get me, right? So if you can imagine, right, how these women feel, like they, 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 they saw this door, um, um, they saw like the, 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 the tomb, right, the, the entrance to the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and they were so alarmed, verse 8 says that they fled, and so what did they actually see when they arrived at the tomb that caused them to flee? Of course, number one, Right? Verse 4 tells us that they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And second, after entering the tomb, right, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. This is interesting to me. If I was in their shoes, I wouldn't have gone into the tomb, right? It's creepy. It feels like a horror movie or something, right? But they end up going in, and when they go, they see this guy, this young man, dressed in a white robe, 
and they were alarmed. And so the other gospels, what they do is that they fill us in on the details and let us know that the young man was actually an angel. And the young man, what he does is he looks in their direction and speaks words of hope to them. Verse 6 says that the young man says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Mark, who's the author of this biography of the life of Jesus, ends his book with the reaction of the women, right? That's all we get. But the other gospel writers go on to describe some of the things that happened after the resurrection. They tell us that for the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples and many others to show them that he is alive and well. What is Easter all about? How would you sum up Easter in three words? If you were to ask me, when I was about 10 years old, I would sum up Easter in three words using these three words, hot cross buns. (laughs) All right? Do you guys know what hot cross buns are? Who knows what hot cross buns are? Right, good. Yeah, the British invasion continues. Basically, a hot cross bun is a spiced bun made with raisins, marked with a cross on the top, and traditionally, it's eaten on Good Friday in the UK, okay? And yesterday, I was studying at Charlie's Best Bread, which is kind of now my new spot and office, and I walked in, and I discovered that they were selling hot cross buns, cat. Can you believe it? Oh, my gosh. And I was like, oh, my gosh, hot cross buns. But the problem with their hot cross buns, their version of it was it was Americanized, and everything American is big, right? And so it's just bigger than normal. But if you were to ask me, that was what I looked forward to during Easter. If you were to ask most kids the three words they would use to sum up what Easter is all about, they would probably say eggs, chocolate, and bunnies, right? If you were to ask general public how they would sum up Easter, they would probably say Easter is a holiday weekend with family kind of thing. But at its heart, Easter should be less about chocolate-laying bunnies and long, relaxing weekends with family and friends and all about the main character of the story I just read, right? And his name is Jesus. William Taylor, who's a minister in the city of London, says it this way. He says, Easter is about who we are as human beings, It's about the love of the God who made each one of us. And it's about the possibility of meeting God in this life and the certainty of meeting him in the next. And so he goes on to conclude that all of these things come into focus when we look at the man called Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr., Einstein, Gandhi, Michael Jackson, Winston Churchill, Michael Jordan, Isaac Newton, Nelson Mandela, these and many others are considered, right, the most influential people of all time. And Jesus, a Jewish carpenter turned preacher, almost always makes the list. And Jesus doesn't just make the list. Most of the time, he absolutely tops the list. 
He is considered by many to be the most influential figure in world history. And this makes a lot of sense, right? It makes a lot of sense because Jesus has been able to impact and influence the lives of billions of people around the world. And his influence knows, those, knows no end. To this day, Jesus continues to impact lives and influences people. But the reason why Jesus stands head and shoulders above them all, and he often tops the list, is that, is that he has achieved something no human being in history has, has been able to achieve, and that was to rise from the grave. And so that is why during Easter right, Easter, which is kind of the Super Bowl weekend of the Christian church. This is why we reflect not just on Jesus's life and teachings, right, but his death and resurrection. And we choose to make much of Jesus's death and resurrection because it affects me, it affects you, and it affects every human being on this planet. Many of you here this morning, okay, are very familiar with the story of Jesus. In fact, the version I shared with you was simply a refresher of some sorts. And the only thing that was possibly different and new for you was that you heard this retelling, right, of Jesus' death and resurrection live in San Diego from a black guy with a British accent, right? <laughs> that was it. It's different, but you're very familiar with it. The story you're very familiar with, but most people are not familiar with the meaning. So what's the meaning behind the story of Jesus' death and resurrection? And even more important, how does it affect you? What does it mean for your life? What has the Easter story that is Jesus' death on Good Friday and his resurrection, right, on Sunday, what does it mean for you, a resident of San Diego in the 21st century? According to the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis, God created the world and everything in it. We enjoy the stunning beauty of his creation each and every day. And this is especially true living in San Diego where daily we are exposed to the stunning, mind-blowing, jaw-dropping, breathtaking beauty of God's creation. And even though we live in the world God created and enjoy the many good gifts he's given us, what's sad about all of this is that we choose to ignore his existence and reject his influence in our lives. And this attitude and mindset towards our loving Savior and Creator is what the Bible calls sin, right? Uh, when I was growing up in the church, I heard the word sin all the time, but I've come to understand that sin can, can be defined as this, right? It can be defined as putting anything or anyone in God's place, it's when something or someone else becomes more desirable to us than the one who made us 
sustains us and gives us every good thing we enjoy. One author puts it this way, and this is absolutely brilliant. Listen to this. The essence of sin is not so much that we want bad things. It's that we want things too badly. And God warns us that sin always damages us and the people around us in unforeseen ways. And so how many times have I, right, have we done or said something that has deeply hurt someone? But what we don't often see is this. It's the effect our sin has on our relationship with God, right? Our sin affects us, it affects others, but what we're often blind to is that our sin affects our relationship with God. Our sin greatly affects our relationship with God. It gets in the way of us having an intimate, loving, peaceful, trusting relationship with God, and instead, it makes us his enemies, And just as there's a consequence for breaking the law, so there's a consequence for ignoring God and his rules in his world. The punishment for sin is spiritual death, and spiritual death means an eternity outside of God's perfect kingdom. But God is incredibly gracious. Rather than leaving us to figure things out ourselves, rather than leaving us disconnected from himself, God did something about our estrangement relationship with him he did something about it in their booklet the real easter authors cal lafferton and tim thornborough tell the story of a native american tribe whose chickens were being stolen okay and so the chief one day announced and said hey the criminal who is stealing all of our chickens If we find him, right, he will be whipped as a deserved punishment for breaking the law in this tribe. And so one day there was a commotion in the camp in the dead of night and the chief was summoned. The chicken stealer had been caught. But to the chief's horror, it was his son. Justice had to be served The son had to be punished, but just as the son was about to be whipped, what the chief did was unbelievable. He got off his chair, ran to him, and wrapped himself around his back. The whip fell on the chief instead of his son. The chief took the punishment instead of his son. And now this story about Native Americans and chickens illustrates, right, imperfectly in a lot of ways, but it still illustrates how God dealt with our sin. God could have left you and I to suffer his punishment and be separated from him forever, but because he loves the people he's made, he sent a solution in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus came, right, 
not to live in luxury or rule from a throne, but to die on the cross. And on the cross, God took the penalty for our rebellion upon himself and died our death. One author said it this way. He said, Jesus was not dying his own death, but our death. He was dying in our place. Jesus was not forsaken by God because of what he had done, but because of what we have done and keep doing. But unlike the life of every human being, Jesus' life doesn't end with his death. As we found out earlier, three days after he was buried, um, his tomb was empty and his body was gone and an angel announced to his female disciples who had come to anoint his corpse that Jesus had risen. And the news of the resurrection is the best news ever. Why? Because we all, right? I'm sorry to be morbid on this lovely Sunday. We all have to face death. The fact of death applies to us all. One day our lives will be over. But the reason why the resurrection of Jesus is the best news ever is because he's the only one man in history who has demonstrated absolute power and authority over death. Because of this man, because of Jesus, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, that is victory over death, there is genuine hope for you and I, even in the face of death. Not only that, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything about how we live in the present. For example, um, why is it so hard, right, for us to face suffering? Why is it so hard for us to face disability and disease? And why is it so hard to face our own death? or the death of a loved one. And these things are hard, and they're, they're hard anyway, but they're even harder and more difficult when we live as though this broken and dysfunctional world is all we've got. It's challenging to know that everything I have, right? My body, my house, my family, Everything I have is the only thing I'll ever have. It's a challenging thing, but in the gospel, in the resurrection, what we're faced with is hope for the future because we come to realize that all we have now is not all we'll ever have. And so, if Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful and so much more certain. The trials of life may dent you, but they will not destroy you. This is why Christianity makes much of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And only by trusting Jesus Christ do people find genuine hope to live. Why? Because... He died in your place so that you can be forgiven 
and he rose again so that he can give you new life. And because he is merciful and loves you, he longs to give you these gifts today. And so, why not recognize that Jesus who rose from the dead really is the Christ? What's stopping you right, from asking Jesus who died so you don't have to why don't you ask him to give you an undeserved place in his eternal kingdom? It was a mistake that cost them millions. On New Year's Day in 1962, a group of scruffy lads from Liverpool with guitars recorded a demo tape and gave it to Dick Rowe, a producer at a major record label. Decker didn't like what he heard. He absolutely rejected it and said to the lads, guitar bands are on their way out. I'm not sure if that was his accent, but hey. On the other hand, George Martin, a producer at another major record label, reacted differently to the boys. He heard the demo, loved what he said, saw tons of potential, and signed them up. Within two years, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, commonly known as the Beatles, became an overnight success with multiple chart-topping hits worldwide. Decker's decision... To reject them cost him and his label millions. Martin's decision to accept them made him and his record label millions. The story of two reactions and decisions could be repeated million times over. And the events of Easter is no different. How you respond to the events of Easter will cost you. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. And so, you can react to Jesus' death and resurrection in one or two ways. <coughs> you can look at Christ's cross and see it as irrelevant. You may politely ignore him or even laugh at the idea that this man, Jewish guy, is actually God's king and God's son. You may laugh at it. You can live your life your way by your rules and by putting yourself on the throne of your life. Or you can recognize that Jesus, who rose from the dead, really is God's son you can accept that your rebellion against God, your rightful ruler, leaves you deserving spiritual death. And in view of this, you now have an opportunity to ask Jesus to give you a fresh start with God now and a new life that lasts forever. Why not? 
recognize that Jesus who rose from the dead is really the Christ. Why not ask Jesus who died so you don't have to to give you an undeserved place in his eternal kingdom? I remember when I decided to surrender my life to Jesus. I was about 17 years old. I had a high top hairstyle. It was bigger than this. And I had jerry curls. And I dyed it brown. And I was in the rave and DJ scene in London. I was doing well for myself. I just started a music group. And we were in studios recording songs. Um, And I was doing well. I lived in London, the coolest city in the world. (laughs) Whatever, San Diego. Um, And I was doing well for myself. But... I'd grown up in a religious home, totally rejected it, didn't want anything to do with it. And it was during, when I was 17, it was during the time when um, we had cable TV and MTV was beginning to make its way into the UK. And I would spend hours just watching music and making music. And one day I was flicking through the channels and I saw this guy, preacher guy, And he was talking about something. And a lot of what he was talking about was what I just shared about Jesus and his gospel and his love and his desire to know you and give you all of that. And as I was watching, I was like, this guy's crazy. He had this big, chunky, brown, ugly suit on with the worst tie you can possibly wear with that suit. You know, it was horrible, right? In London, we're like fashion obsessed. And so it's just like, it's just undesirable, anything about. But like what he was saying was so compelling to me. What he was saying was just so obsessed. I just wanted to see, even though the suit just kept irritating me, right? Just kept irritating me. Can't laugh. Even because of that, um, like I still was compelled by what he said. And the more he talked about Jesus, and the more he talked about what Jesus had done, and the more he talked about the opportunity I have to know God, to know the God, our Creator, who created everything we see, touch, and feel. That opportunity was kept, and I kept going back to it every night. And so one night. I remember it was late at night, it was dark in the room, and the only light that was um, that existed in that room was the light from the TV. I decided to get on my knees and surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And I would say that has been the most, the best decision I've made in my life, okay? It's not been easy. It's been challenging, right? The whole idea of come to Jesus and your life's going to be like a bed of roses. and or No, like it's not like when you become a Christian, it's tough and it's challenging. But the most important thing I've come to learn is that my hope is not just like laid up here on this earth. I have a hope for the future. And now death is challenging, death is hard. In 2015, my grandma passed away and that rocked me. 
It did. It was challenging. But I was able to get through it, not because of who I am and I'm tough-skinned and everything. I was able to go through it because I recognized that because of Jesus' death, right, I am forgiven. And because of Jesus' resurrection, I now have life after this life. And so my question to you is, because of the resurrection, you can trust Jesus with your own life. Why don't you trust Jesus with your life? Why don't you trust Jesus with your death? And because Jesus is alive, why don't you speak to him yourself right (coughs) now? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Um, Thank you for reminding us of Jesus and all that he's done and his resurrection um, as we sing and reflect on everything we've heard. May you take all that we've heard and instill it deep into our souls. And may it flourish and bloom to bring about life because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. So we're going to have a time now, right, where we, you know, it's like a reflection time where we just want you to sit and reflect on all that you've heard, right? Um, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're thinking. I can't read people's minds, right? But what I would love for you to do is just take a few minutes and reflect on everything we've discussed this morning. What has stood out to you? Obviously, we've made a big deal of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. What, what, What does it mean for you now? Uh, how are you thinking about that? Be honest with yourself. And as you reflect during this time and as you sing songs, may you be reminded of God's love for you through Jesus Christ. There's this Bible passage that you will see everywhere. It's John 3:16, and it talks about, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that kind of sums up what Easter and Christianity is all about.